This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. We're kicking off a brand new series called Love in the Bible, where for four weeks we're going to look at uh, couples that were in the scriptures, and we're just going to say, God, uh, would you help us to learn the lessons that are there, that we don't have to maybe learn them ourselves, and we can grow in our relationships, we can grow in our perceptions of marriage, and, and God, we believe that you're going to do something in this. As we get started, I just want to point out something that may be obvious to some of you, but, but it's getting a little uncomfortable around here. Uh, because we're in one of those seasons where we grow. Uh, this is uh, that kind of opening into that between February and March every year we've grown by about 25 to 30 percent and so as with myself personally y'all ever been through a season where you eat a little bit and then all of a sudden your jeans feel tight right we're in that season and so all of a sudden it's going to feel a little tight in here and we prepared for this and so we have now built a simulcast venue here on site at Eastgate and so uh, it won't be too long we'll be rolling that out for now uh, we're calling it the overflow um, but we may come up with a sexier name for that. That's just what we're going to call it for now. All right. So it may be one of those things where you come in before too long and we're just like, hey, you know, we've stopped seating in the auditorium. We're seating now in the overflow. Just want to prepare you for that. Also, maybe one of those things where just to help us out, maybe once a month, uh, you commit when we roll that out that you say, hey, I'm going to go sit in there so I can free up some seats so it won't feel as tight and uncomfortable in the auditorium. We'd love to be able to serve our new guests in that way. So just wanted you to know that that's coming. Now today, as we start, let me just ask you a question. Maybe you're here and you're a young girl. Do you remember back when you were younger? Any of y'all ever dream about your marriage? Just think about one day, I'm going, I'm going to get married one day. And, and you dream about your, your dress and what the day's going to be like, what the, what the ceremony's going to look like, what songs are going to be sang, what, what song you're going to play when you dance with your daddy, all that sort of thing. Any, any young girls ever dream about their wedding day when they were little? Raise your hand if that was you. Lots of them, lots of them, right? And what about guys here? Guys, y'all, y'all remember when you were a little kid? Maybe, maybe, maybe your teenage years, y'all ever dream about that day you're going to get married and you're going to get to get intimate with your wife? Any guys want to confess that they used to dream about that? I did. I ain't going to lie about that, right? That day's coming. And, and we, we grow up with this, with this perception of marriage, that one day you're going to meet the one, you're going to marry the one, and then life's going to be happily ever after from that point on, Right? The sad thing is, is that happily ever ever hasn't happened for many of us. Many, many of you guys in here are single today. And you're, maybe in your heart you're still saying, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the one. You, you might be saying that I think I may have found the one. Uh, maybe divorced here. And you might be saying, you know, I thought I'd found the one. But things happened and circumstances changed. Maybe you're married and you're here. And all of a sudden, when you thought you had something that was good, it feels like it's just crumbling and the walls that were holding it up just feel like they're not as strong as they once were. So I think that there's a lot to be learned 
for us when it comes to our perception of marriage. And so today we're going to focus on one of the earliest stories of marriage in the whole scripture. It comes in the middle of the book of Genesis. You may remember that the patriarchs of the faith are called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's where God births this lineage of redemption. And the, the third one, Jacob, is kind of where we're going to zero in our, our attention today. The story of, of his marriage. Now, you, you may not remember the, the beginning of his story, so let me just remind you. Jacob was born a twin. There were two boys. Esau was his older brother because he was born first. Um, but Jacob is kind of a sneaky little sucker, all right? And so it appears as they're growing older that Esau is the more manly of the brothers. He's the one who goes out and hunts, and he's the one who helps his dad outside while Jacob is relegated to helping his mom in the kitchen. Now, just understanding that time period, that was a very um, demasculating perspective to have thrown on him in his life. But his mom was a schemer, and so she wanted Jacob to be the birthright bearer. See, the firstborn son would have been given the birthright. They would have gotten much more of the inheritance, and they would have been the person given the responsibility of managing the household for, for years to come. And, and Esau was the bearer of the birthright, but one day in his weakness, he traded his birthright when he was hungry as Jacob had cooked some stew. See, Jacob comes out of a very broken family, and now bearing the birthright, he is tasked by his dad, Isaac, to go find a wife. So he leaves home, and he travels. He, before long, visits a small town called Haran, where his uncle lives, and he walks up at the well where he's going to get some water, get some basically like us stopping at the convenience store, and, and he goes to get some nourishment and refreshment and ask some folks staying there, hey, do you know my uncle Laban? They say, yes, we do. As a matter of fact, here's his daughter. And in a very backwoods loving moment, Jacob sees his cousin Rachel walking up the road and falls head over heel in love with her. All right. Jacob's a redneck, y'all. He's falling in love with his cousin. All right. That's what's happening. It's just the way it is. All right. And so the story begins to unfold where he's now going to set his hearts on her. She's described in the scriptures as being very pretty. And it's as if all the brokenness in the background and the task that his dad has given him. And now, as Jacob looks upon this very beautiful woman, it's as if he's saying to himself, marrying her will be the answer to all of my problems. There's many of us that have thought that. Some of you that are single today think that. If I could just get married, that would answer all my problems. But see, Jacob is approaching this from really an admittedly broken place. I mean, he has had some pretty significant encounters with God. But it's evident that he does not understand the love of God at all. Most likely because he never understood the love of a parent. You see, Jacob never had the love of his father. His father found great favor on Esau, but Jacob always seemed to be the one that was overlooked and We've all known that girl that grew up without the loving in relationship with the dad. And so she was the girl who was always looking for a relationship to try to fill the void that was there. Jacob grew up without the love of his dad. 
But at this point in this season, as he's been sent away, Jacob has also lost the love of his mother. And for a young man, losing and not having the love of your mother is a significant loss. I've known many friends who either lost their mom when they were very young or grew up with an absent mom, and it is very uh, typical to see them try to fill that void with a romantic love, to always be the guy who had the hot girlfriend. And Jacob comes out of that. So he's going to go to his uncle Laban and try to get something started with his cousin. Look at how the scripture records what Laban's family looks like in Genesis 29, verses 16 and 17. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older one was Leah, and the name of the younger one was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Now, I I went back and studied um, the original text, the Hebrew, um, because Hebrew is such a colorful language, just wanted to be able to explain some of the phrases that are there. When, when the Bible says that Leah had weak eyes, um, the, what, what, if I were going to translate the original text to you, what it's saying is that she has a nice personality. That's what, that's what it's saying, right? That's what, basically, all right. <laughs> And, and I, I think that, that some, some, Greek, or some Hebrew scholars actually think that as it's talking, it's, it's not talking about her eyesight because it doesn't say she had weak eyes and then her sister had strong eyes. Um, they may even be uh, referencing a physical abnormality that may have been present in her eyes. She was not as pretty as her sister because the Bible does describe her as being lovely in form. Let me translate that for you. It, 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 it would look like this. Literally means she had a nice body, all right? And Jacob is enamored with her. I, I thought it would be helpful to try to reconstruct, based on the original text, a picture to give you an image of what Rachel looked like, the younger one who's the beautiful sister. Look at this. This is what I would imagine she would look like. That's my wife. And yes, let me just say this. I know that I'm getting brownie points by doing this. I know that of which I plan to redeem later when the kids are in bed, all right? (laughs) I think that there are many, many of us who in our hearts have postured ourselves a lot like Jacob. We've thought about marriage as the solution to our problems. We're lonely. We want to be significant in someone else's life. We know that we need to be encouraged and We need to have some love in our life. We need that, and we want to love something, and we put the answer in our life to all of that as marriage. And I think that we can learn some dangerous things that attach when marriage becomes the answer for us. We see that in the life of Jacob. Number one, today you'll see that you will compromise more than you should. You will compromise more than, if marriage is your answer, you will compromise more than you should. It's not uncommon for me to get to talk to our, our folks about their relationships, uh, see you at the gym, may see you when we're out to eat, and we'll talk about how you and your boyfriend and your girlfriend are doing. And it's not unusual to have this discussion. I just got engaged. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, tell me about him. Well, you know, he is so nice. He treats me so good. And he is hot. He's so hot. 
just got the cutest eyes. I love him so much. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad he treats you well. So let me just ask you, what's his relationship with Jesus like? Well, he doesn't really talk about that kind of stuff. You know, he's just private about his faith. He doesn't really want to go to church with me, though. So let me just ask you this, okay? He won't go to church with you, doesn't talk to you about his faith, and you've been a believer, an active believer your entire life. And I've learned to ask this question, guys, such a hard question to ask, but it is so important. So let me ask you, 10 years from now, when you have a kid, and you go to the doctor, and the doctor tells you that your child has been diagnosed with terminal disease, as a spiritual leader of your family, what's he going to do? Is he going to bat his pretty little eyes at the baby? I think that sometimes we are willing to compromise what never should be compromised when marriage is the answer. You see Jacob do this. In verse 18, he begins to negotiate his terms to get Rachel. Look at what happens. Jacob was in love with Rachel. Let's just stop right there. All right, he's not in love. As a matter of fact, at this point, he's only been there for a few months. The only way he would have ever been around her was to be around her with her parents because that was culturally acceptable at that point. He's, not in, he's in something else, all right? Not in love. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. All right? Which seems sweet, right? Because in those days... It was the way that that exchange was made. Now, some of y'all, if you're ladies in here, you might be offended. Like, he's buying her? What? I understand. But in those days, a dowry was paid to purchase the hand of, of a daughter. And it was only done in a few ways. It was done with, with cash, with liquid assets. You had money to pay. Or holdings where you had uh, livestock or land or whatever. Or it was purchased with years to be worked. And at the end of the time that was arranged, at the end of that, you would have the privilege of marrying the daughter. See, here's the problem with this. He offers seven years up front. Culturally, the normal asking was two. Two years. He tripled the offer up front. Can I translate what he said? I'll do anything. I'll pay any price. Whatever it'll take. I want her. When marriage becomes the answer, you will compromise more than you should. Can I just tell you typical stories that go with that? The young girl that doesn't feel like her boyfriend loves her. He's not affectionate. He doesn't treat her well. And so she makes the decision. I'm going to give him my body. And if I give him my body, I'm hoping that he'll give me his heart. You compromise more than you should. Or maybe it's the young man who's dating the girl and she's not really into him, but he keeps thinking, you know what, if I can just give her gifts and attention and if I can lavish on her what feels like love and affection, if I can just do this for her and keep doing and keep doing, maybe one time, if I can just keep earning her attention with all the gifts that I'm giving her, maybe eventually she'll love me. And we compromise more than we should. See, the second thing that we see that happens with Jacob 
And it happens with us when marriage is the answer for us. You become demanding. You become demanding. Genesis 29, 21, now Jacob has worked his seven years. And look what he says to his uncle Laban. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. (laughs) I'm just going to tell you right now, right? If it's the night before my little girl's getting married, and that joker comes in there and says something like that to me, I'm going to jack him up. (laughs) On that moment, right there. I mean, Jacob is demanding. He's demanding. And let me translate what he said, just so you can hear it in the way that we talk to each other. I've done my part. Now it's your turn to do yours. You ever thought that before? I'm sure you have. Because marriage was not designed to be a contract that is negotiated. Marriage was designed to be a covenant. And the way that a covenant works is a covenant is 100%. All I have and all you have now creates 100%. All of me, all of you equals what we have. It's not a contract where I'm negotiating, hey, I'm going to give you half of me, you give me half of you, meet me halfway. No, it's all in. But when marriage erodes, they change. A marriage will change from a covenant to a contract. Where we start to negotiate the terms of our relationship. Instead of an all-in, it's, no, you get me when. Or I will do it if. But here's the problem with a contract. In a contract, expectations rise and satisfaction decreases. Expectations rise and satisfaction decreases. Some of y'all know what it's like to live with a demanding spouse. I do, personally. My wife is very demanding. At the end of the day, I'll come home, and I'll be tired, you know, having given my all at work all day long, and I'll come in just a tired heap of a man and sit down on the couch, and she'll walk over and whisper into my ear, hey, big boy, 30 minutes from now, I'm get these kids to bed, and I'm having you to myself, but I'm tired, baby. I'm not just a piece of of meat for you to enjoy all the time. Sometimes I just want to be held and cuddled, you know what I mean? No, the truth is, is that I know what it's like to be a demanding spouse. I can be that way. Where I become so self-centered and worried about my needs, I forget all that she's been through and struggling through, and I'll just heap expectations upon her that she could never fulfill. See, when we begin to deal with an eroding marriage that's shifting from a covenant to a contract, we need to remember that in a contract, you're expecting your spouse to meet all of your needs, and we're going to find out that that doesn't work real well. The next thing in your notes, and we're going to see this as this story kind of comes to a weird conclusion, is that you'll always end up dissatisfied. When marriage is your answer, you will always end up dissatisfied. 
You know, many of us enter marriage with a ton of expectations. Our expectations are formed in many different ways, a lot of times, from our family, the way that our mom and dad related to each other, what we've seen in movies and TVs and read, and, and even things that we've admired in other families and other marriages. But the problem with the expectations that we often carry is that nobody can meet them. Nobody can fulfill all the expectations that we have. And I think that our experience in marriage is a lot like Jacob's experience after that seven years. Now, this is a weird thing that happens. I'm just going to admit that up front because this story, if this story happened today, we would be mad. But it definitely happened, and I think there's a lesson to be learned. See, at the end of that seven years, once they had made the decision, here's my daughter's hand in marriage, there would have been a time of celebration, a wedding feast, And in those days, wedding feasts were always accompanied with a lot of drinking. So by the time the marriage rolled around, everybody was really happy. They were just really happy. They were ready for that, excited about it. And Uncle Laban is going to pull a little switcheroo on Jacob. He's going to dress his daughter Leah up, put a veil over her face, and send her down the aisle, and we see what happens In verses 23 and 25 where the Bible says, When evening came, Laban took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. And Jacob lay with her. So when the morning came, there was Leah. (laughs) There she was. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? See, Jacob thought he was going to bed with Rachel, but he woke up with Leah. When we enter into a marriage expecting to have found someone that's going to meet all our needs and fulfill our deepest desires, you'll always go to bed with what you think is Rachel and always wake up with Leah. Always. Now, I don't know her reason for doing that. It's easy to suppose, though, she wasn't attractive. She hadn't had any suitors, no offers. And so her dad thought, you know, it's customary. The first daughter gets married away first. So, so here's what I'm going to do. We're going to trick him. And I don't know why she went along with it, but maybe she did it because she was hoping that maybe if I do this, he'll love me. Maybe. Nobody else has ever loved me. I've never experienced this. And so maybe if I do this one day, he will love me. And her story so like so many other stories. And look at what she says. Some of the saddest words in all the scriptures. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because of the Lord that has seen my misery. So look at this. Surely my husband will love me now. If I can just do what he needs. His dad sent him to get married. He needs a son. I've given him a son. Surely he will love me now. But can I just tell you something? If the way that you think about being loved is always conditional and you're believing that if you can do something, you might actually be loved, that is not love. Because she is never going to experience the love of Jacob. Ever. If it's conditional... 
It is not love. You know, I think that it's important for us to ask, what's wrong with this story? What's wrong with this story as we read through it? Well, here's what's wrong. There's never one moment in that whole story where they seek God. There's never a moment where Jacob gets on his knees and says, God, who do you want me to marry? God, who is the woman for me? There's never this moment when Laban says, you know what, you've asked for my daughter's hand and married. Here's what, I'm going to pray and seek God about what you should do and who should be your wife. There's never this evidence in the story that they sought God. And we find in that a really critical error. And it helps us to understand that sometimes we're searching for the wrong one. Now, many of y'all have heard this as advice before about marriage. And it's simple that to have a fulfilling marriage, you must find the one. To have a fulfilling marriage, to have a a powerful, loving marriage, you, you must find that one. And maybe you're single in here today. And you're saying, you know, I just, I want to find the one. I don't know if I found the one. Some of y'all are single and saying, I think I found the one. Maybe you're divorced and like I said earlier, you thought you'd found the one, but it turned out the things went south. Maybe you're married here. And you started to think to yourself, I'm not sure I married the right one. I want you to understand something about that. To have a fulfilling marriage. It's all about finding the one, but too many times we have misdiagnosed who the one is because the next thing you notice is so important that to have a fulfilling, lasting marriage, God must always be your number one and your spouse must be too. See, for many of us, we've created an idol out of our spouse that they can never live up to and we'll worship and sacrifice for them in a way that we should only for God. The problem connected to all of that is that either the idea of marriage or our spouse has become number one. In marriage, the only way for a fulfilling, lasting relationship is for your number one to always be Jesus. You know, this happens towards the end of this story with Leah. After years of rejection, years of having given Jacob what she thought would earn his love, look at what happens in verse 35. Leah conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. This time I will praise the Lord. See, in the times before, I had these moments and I always thought that if I could just give him a son, he would love me. But this time, this time I will praise the Lord. This time, not not unlike the times before, no, this time I'm going to make God my one and then she quit having kids. Let me just translate this. I'm tired of playing with your butt. No, I'm not playing this game anymore. Now here's where she goes. Finally, God becomes her number one. 
And the thing that we need to remember is that if we're ever going to have a fulfilling relationship, a relationship that reflects the nature of God, God always has to be our number one. You know what's interesting about that scripture? You know what Jesus has called one of his names? The Lion of Judah. Because it is Judah that God chooses to bring the lineage of grace that would lead to the birth of the Son of God. See, I think sometimes that we feel that in our brokenness, we are so far gone from God ever getting a hold of us and changing our circumstances. And last week, we had a family that was here. And, you know, they'd been struggling spiritually, not giving God the honor of being the central figure in their lives. And nobody knows, but they're pregnant, expecting a child. And they went to a, the doctor, and when they went to the doctor, there was some blood work that was done. And the blood work came back, and as the doctor interpreted it for them, he told them that you are likely going to miscarry because of what was, these markers were seeing. So they were here on Sunday. And during Sunday, I talked about this principle where we, we basically said, hey, you know, we, we need to put God first in everything. Make a decision that we will never cheat God. And so they went home and they started praying. And the husband, instead of being that husband that's un, unfaithful, un, the person that's never going to place Jesus at the center, instead of being the person who doesn't talk about his faith, the husband went home and said, here's what's going to happen. We're going to seek God. Now, I don't know what's going on, but I know one thing. God gave us this baby. God can take care of this baby. And... If in the worst case we lose this baby, I know God wants to do something in us through this moment. And so they started seeking God and praying and praying and praying. And Tuesday morning, they went to the doctor. New work, new blood work, and it all came back normal. The baby's fine. Because I want you to see this principle. This is so important. No matter what the brokenness is that you're dealing with, no matter how far your relationship has strayed from putting the one at number one, when the two will seek the one, anything is possible. When the two will seek the one, anything is possible. Isn't that what Jesus was telling us in Matthew 6? He said that, you'll seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all of this other stuff will be added to you. See, so many of us in our marriage and in our prospective marriages, we want that in the future, want it for us even right now. We've let our spouse become number one. We've let the idea of marriage eclipse our love for Jesus. And I want you to understand today, there is no way to have a healthy relationship. No way to experience the fulfilling, loving relationship that marriage should be without Jesus being your number one. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.